It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout-out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NFL and use code locked on NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Well, folks, welcome to Herd Mentality. Going to break this into three segments here. The first segment, we're going to talk about some big decisions that the Bills need to make with their coordinators as well as some comments on the list of players the Bills have signed to futures deals. Then in the second segment, I want to get into some of the questions that people have coming out of the Kansas City game and some of the choices that the Bills made in that game. And then lastly, there's some questions about Von Miller, wide receivers, what to do with Dalton Kincaid uh, in the closing segment. So let's have some fun here, talk about this football team. We'll start with the first one from Chris. Chris says, do you think the Bills will give Joe Brady the full-time offensive coordinator role and give him full play calling duties. If they're going to add a defensive coordinator, who should they interview and hire? And you think a change at special teams coordinator is a possibility with the way Bass has been inconsistent of late and Martin didn't do a great job of punting. All right, so let's break it down. Let's look at all three of these scenarios, and I have thoughts on all three. We'll start with offensive coordinator. Joe Brady, the interim offensive coordinator, the Bills. The Bills... Offense was a lot better, in my opinion, with Joe Brady in terms of the intent and the opportunities that existed. I think it was more tailored for what this team had, and I'm excited to see what he could do with an entire offseason to really implement his own style and his own schemes and exactly what he would want the offense to be. And obviously, Joe Brady has endorsed him. You heard Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean on Tuesday really give a lot of praise and compliments to Joe Brady. And you know, Brandon Bean even came out and said he deserves to be a very serious candidate. And to me, he's the leading candidate. He's the guy that I would prefer at this point in time. I think that I think that he can do a lot. I'm, I've always really enjoyed Joe Brady's offenses. I've enjoyed them all season long as I've broken them down for you here on this podcast, particularly in our All-22 review episodes. But I enjoyed him in Carolina. I enjoyed him in LSU. I think he's got what it takes to work with Josh Allen, and really coordinate a top-tier NFL offense. Now, I do think that there needs to be a legitimate process here. The Bills should look at some external candidates as well. And the names that come to mind for me that I think would make a lot of sense to speak with, uh, first of all, T. Martin. Uh, T. Martin's a quarterback's coach for the Ravens. The Bills actually interviewed him a few years ago as part of the process for hiring Ken Dorsey. And I'd like to talk to him again. I like what's going on with Baltimore and how Lamar Jackson played this year. And I think he's got building a nice resume. And at some point he's going to be an offensive coordinator. I think Kellen Moore's a coach I would speak to. 
uh, coordinated some great offenses with the Dallas Cowboys last year with the Chargers. I think conceptually what Kellen Moore does really does kind of fit Josh Allen. And then I would also talk to Eric Bieniemy, um, uh, long-term candidate or excuse me, offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Spent last year in Washington. I wasn't impressed with what he did in Washington at all. I thought he asked way too much of Sam Howell. And I think he got away from the run quite a bit at times when he shouldn't have. And I don't like how he stressed a bad offensive line. Like I have some questions about Eric Bieniemy and what he did this past year in Washington. But obviously, Josh Allen's a different player than Sam Howell. And I think his familiar, familiarity with Andy Reid and the Chiefs is something that is appealing to me as well as a guy that I would at least want to speak to. But to me, it's Joe Brady's job to lose. And I'd speak to Martin, Kellen Moore, and Eric Bieniemy. As for defensive coordinator, Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean were pretty non-committal about what the plan is there. And, you know, Sean McDermott can certainly continue as a defensive coordinator. And the Bills do have some candidates on their coaching staff right now in John Butler and Bobby Babich. I mean, even Al Holcomb and Eric Washington have been in that type of role in the past. So there's a lot of coordinator experience. I think the leading candidates would be John Butler and Bobby Babich. Now, John Butler, I think the Bills had a preseason game last year where uh, Sean McDermott didn't call the plays and John Butler did. And there was a practice that I was at during training camp where Sean McDermott wasn't there and John Butler handled those play calling duties. So you kind of think about him as a reasonable option. Obviously, he's done a great job as the Bills secondary uh, coach. But I also think a lot about Bobby Babich, and, and that's really my favorite candidate to be the defensive coordinator. He's been around Sean McDermott for a long time. It feels like he's been groomed for this opportunity. And their history goes back to Carolina in 2011 and 2012. Um, excuse me, Bobby Babich was a, a, an assistant coach uh, for Carolina, so they were together there. And then he went off to do uh, some work with the Cleveland Browns. He was the assistant defensive backs coach for a couple of years. Went to Florida International to be their uh, secondary coach and defensive pass game coordinator. Then in 2017, he came back to the Buffalo Bills where you know Sean McDermott got that job. He was the assistant DBs coach in 2017, safeties coach in 2018 through 2021, and then the linebackers coach in 2022. So he's really diversified his portfolio on the defensive side of the football. And everything that he's touched with the Buffalo Bills has become gold. You know, you think about the work that he did with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer uh, starting in you know, 2017 through really 2021. And then he became the linebackers coach in 2022, where we saw Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds play their best football together. And of course, this past year, unlocking what we saw from Terrell Bernard. And so I'd want Bobby Babbage to get this opportunity. The Giants are going to be interviewing him for their defensive coordinator opening. And I think either the Bills make him their defensive coordinator or he's going to be somebody else's defensive coordinator, and I don't want to let him slip away. I think he's a star in the making here as a defensive coach. At special teams coordinator Matthew Smiley, uh, the current special teams coordinator, he was a first-year special teams coordinator two years ago in 2022 when the Buffalo Bills had the number one special teams units in all of football. Obviously, this past year, major regression. Now, I'm not expecting a change here. Listening to Sean McDermott talk about Matthew Smiley, during his year-end press conference, it didn't really give me any inspiration to think that he's considering a change there. In fact, he talked about how good of a job Matthew Smiley did in navigating the special teams, given the injuries that the Bills had, particularly on the defensive side of the football, and how on a weekly basis that impacted who was available for Matthew Smiley. And I think that probably speaks to some of the inconsistency with the coverage units. Now, I, I have a hard time uh, pinning missed field goals on Matthew Smiley, right? Like Tyler Bass has got to make them. 
I, I don't know how to, to blame Matthew Smiley or not blame him for that. But I think the bottom line here is there was enough goodwill to me in his first season to not feel like you need to rock the boat here. And I, I'm not super interested in really transitioning away from a bunch of these coaches, right? Like the continuity, I think, is a good thing. And, um, you know, you're, you're potentially staring at a lot of turnover here. We'll see what happens. And I, I just, to me, there's a benefit of the doubt that I'm willing to give Matthew Smiley. And I'm also mindful of how it could actually be much worse. So those are my thoughts on the Bills and their coordinator spots. And obviously, we'll get answers to that in the relatively near future. Uh, Chris, this is a different Chris. Chris asked this question. He said, at some point, uh, will you let us know about the players the Bills just signed to future reserve contracts? Um, and so I would like to do that for you. The Bills added a bunch of players to future deals. And future deals are players that you sign that are not part of 53-man rosters that you kind of go ahead and sign to like a, a veteran minimum type deal. And a lot of the players that the Bills signed are, are players from their own practice squad and a couple from other teams' practice squads, which are pretty interesting. So let's let's mention these players. And there's there's one that I particularly want to, to talk a little bit more about. So these are the players the Bills signed to Futures deals, and these guys will be in the mix next year, part of OTAs and camp and all that stuff, competing for a roster spot. So cornerback uh, uh, Kyron Brown, defensive end Cameron Klein, offensive lineman Richard Garage, cornerback Jamarcus Ingram, wide receiver Andy Isabella, offensive lineman Kevin Jarvis, tight end Trey McKitty, wide receiver Tyrell Shavers, wide receiver Byron Thompson, uh, defensive tackle Elianku, quarterback, Shane Buscelli, right? Those are all players that were on the Bills practice squad that they're basically just saying, come on back next year. And they added a few players that weren't on their practice squad in running back Darrington Evans, safety Kendall Williamson, who was a seventh round pick by the Bears out of Stanford last year, uh, wound up being on their practice squad all season. They did not extend a futures contract to him. So he comes to Buffalo. But probably the most interesting player is wide receiver KJ Hamler. Let me tell you about him. 24 years old, was the number 46 pick in the 2020 draft by the Denver Broncos. I mean, that's an early second-round pick. He's small, 5'8", 178 pounds, and he's had a ton of injuries. In 2020, his rookie season had a big-time hamstring injury that put him on injured reserve. It lingered into 2021. I uh, eventually got through the hamstring injury in 2021, and then he tore his ACL in Week 3. So then he comes back in 2022 and has another hamstring injury that puts him on injured reserve. He's diagnosed with pericarditis, um, and the Broncos wound up waiving him with a non-football illness designation, spends 2023 20, on the Colts practice squad, and then they did not offer him a futures deal, and so now he's part of the Buffalo Bills. And so K.J. Hamler was a really dynamic player at Penn State. There's a reason he was a top 50 pick just a few years ago. Let me read you the summary of my scouting report on K.J. Hamler to give you an idea of the type of skill set that he has. Now, look, the injuries are very concerning. The size is very concerning. But there's something here. This is a, a player that, again, was recently a top 50 pick, and nobody was surprised that he was a top 50 pick. That's how most people viewed him. I had him graded as a third round. High third round pick is where I had him graded. This is what my scouting report would tell you back when I studied KG Hamler coming out of Penn State. KG Hamler is one of the most dynamic and electric offensive weapons in the 2020 class. His burst is off the charts, and he's going to be difficult for NFL defensive backs to cover. He complements his outstanding athleticism with good route running technique and he should have no issues creating separation at the next level. The challenge for Hamler in the NFL is his lack of size, which creates restrictions on the field. The physical components of the game will be difficult despite his, his scrappy mentality, and his catch radius is very small. 
In addition, Hamler's hands need to improve, and contested situations will be hard on him to find success. Hamler has a chance to claim a starting slot receiver role in his career while also handling punt and kick return duties. He may not be a complete receiver, but the ways he wins are valuable, and he presents a blend of separation skills and speed that should result in explosive plays in the NFL. So that's pretty intriguing to me as uh, a futures deal, right? You're not re- there's no risk. There's no risk at all. Uh, somebody to have in the mix to go with a guy like Andy Isabella and just see if you can find a meaningful player. And if not, you're not really losing anything. I think that was a really nice addition when it comes to the futures contracts being KJ Hamler, in addition to bringing back a lot of the guys from your practice squad and really starting to map out what this roster is going to look like, right? We're, we're going to get to a 90 man roster here this off season. And I think that those are good additions to get that conversation started. All right, folks, plenty more to get to here. We're going to talk some about that KC game here in just a moment. So stick with me. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber and not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring that win home. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, eligible items only, exclusions apply, only available to U.S. customers. All right, folks, the next one here comes from John. John says, after the two-minute timeout, this is referring to the the Chiefs' loss on Sunday night, after the two-minute timeout, it seems like the Bills were in a hurry to score. I'm not sure why. There were receivers open in the five- to seven-yard range, and that has been working. Why not try to get at least another first down and run down the clock instead of successive, unsuccessful tries at the end zone? After 13 seconds, I would have wanted Mahomes to have as little time as possible. So let's talk about this. So out of the two-minute warning, that's the incomplete pass over the middle to Khalil Shakir in the end zone. I have zero, and I mean zero, issues with that play call and zero issues with that decision. I think it is extremely short-sighted. The people that are sharing screenshots of Stefan Diggs open on a shallow drag and thinking that's where, that's where Josh Allen was supposed to go with the football. That tells me that you don't understand progressions and you don't understand the intent of that play call. And that intent of that play call was to throw a a touchdown pass to Khalil Shakir, and it was right there. Absolutely the right decision with the football. No questions about it. I say that with complete convictions. Khalil Shakir was open. Exactly what the Bills wanted for that play, they had it. The unfortunate part is the width of the pocket started to collapse a bit. Chris Jones was able to push back Deion Dawkins. And as Josh Allen was going to deliver that throw, he was hit, and it took something off the football. If I have any issue with the play, it's that Josh Allen should have negotiated the pocket better and slid his feet so that he could get a clean release and feel that pressure coming from his backside. That's the only problem I have. The right read, the right throw, the right decision. No question about it. Stephon Diggs is the backside receiver. He's not even one of the first two or three options in the progression. Now, could you say that they should have went there or not tried to get a touchdown on that play and try to milk more clock, potentially set up a shorter field goal? I don't. I mean, come on. Your goal is to score there. 
And unfortunately, yeah, that did stop the clock. It was incomplete. And then on third and nine, Josh Allen didn't have anything available. And he basically throws away the football. Tyler Bass misses the field goal. Bill season's over. But you have an opportunity to hit that touchdown pass. And I, I'm I'm really, I don't understand the people that are saying, well, Patrick Mahomes probably is going to go down and score. You know, even if you hit the field goal, even if you hit the touchdown, you want to take all this time off because Patrick Mahomes is going to go score. Well, first of all, can we give him the chance to prove that he can do that? But also, like, did you watch the last two games the Bills and Chiefs played? Patrick Mahomes was in that scenario both times, and he failed. This past week, or this past year, he couldn't win. He couldn't engineer the game-winning drive. And last year in Arrowhead, Taron Johnson picks him off like a couple plays into the series. So what are we talking about here? You had an opportunity that was perfectly schemed up, the right play call to hit a game-winning touchdown pass and put the pressure back on Patrick Mahomes. It just didn't work out because Josh Allen was hit as he threw. Absolutely the right play. No question in my mind. And look, as we reflect on this game, you could poke holes at anything because the Bills lost. So therefore, anything that they did could have been different and maybe it would have led to a different result. But I have no issue with that decision at all whatsoever. Alex says, do you think the defense would have fared better against the Chiefs if we went Dotson at middle linebacker and Williams at weak side linebacker instead of Klein and Dotson? I thought Williams made a couple of great plays in the limited snaps he got late in the game, and our defense finally made a couple of stops when he was on the field. Again, everything the Bills did was wrong because they lost the game, right? So, yeah, you should have done, you should have done a lot of different things. But the bottom line is this. The Bills had opportunities to make game-winning plays. That game was close, folks. The Bills lost by three points. Not like they got mollywhopped. The Bills were in position to win the game, and that's what coaches do. They put players in position to win the game. And whether it's Trent Sherfield drops, Stephon Diggs drops, Tyler Bass not hitting a field goal, Greg Rousseau not being able to sack Patrick Mahomes and him slipping out and completing it. Like, whatever you want to point to, the Bills just didn't make the game-winning plays, but they were very clearly in position to make them. That's what it comes down to. you got to make those plays. And so, yeah, we can sit here and, and big brain this whole thing and say, well, if this guy played instead of this guy, this guy's played instead of this guy, maybe it could have been different. Well, the reality is we saw how it was played, and the Bills had every chance to win the game. And what more can you ask for? It's not like they got, they got boat raced. It was a close game. It was a close game. The Bills were in position to win it, and that's all you can ask for. And so, yeah, with the benefit of hindsight, we can question everything. And because the Bills didn't win, whatever they did was wrong. Whatever they did, whatever you want to point to, yeah, it was wrong because they lost the game. But at the end of the day, they were in position to win it. And here's this Dodson-Klein thing. Like, Klein was a, a dumpster fire in the game. There's no question about it. But he's the guy that they trusted to do the green dot, to be the, the, the signal caller for the defense. Dodson hasn't done that all season long. So do you want to really, do you want to flip that around? In hindsight, yeah, you do, right? Because you lost the game. But let's not act like the Bills weren't in position to win it because they were. They just didn't make the plays. Brad says, I think one of the most frustrating things about Sean McDermott is that he opts for what I would consider safer choices over the highest ceiling player. For instance, Dorian Williams versus Klein last week. That's not, that's not a thing. They don't play the same position. Dorian Williams versus Klein, that's not, that was never an option. Puna versus Linval Joseph. Miller over the high-motor Kingsley Jonathan. Or hurt Douglas over Elam. We get roasted by the Chiefs anyway. I really feel like these types of choices have made year after year results 
that is 18 losses when 16 of those were the one score category. So a safe choice is keep things close, but I feel like I would rather the high ceiling and lose occasionally by more than always lose by one score. I don't know. Kingsley Jonathan. Kingsley Jonathan was active for the game, wasn't he? And what has Kingsley Jonathan done all season long? What's the, what is the infatuation with Kingsley Jonathan? What has he done? Von Miller was good against Kansas City. It was absolutely the right decision. Von Miller should have played more. Played more snaps. Linval Joseph over Puna Ford? I don't know. Linval Joseph was awesome against the Steelers. He stunk against Kansas City. I don't know. I heard Douglas over Elam. Sure. But Dane Jackson was worse than Douglas. Again, everything that the Bills did was wrong because they lost the game. But they did have every chance to win it. So we can nitpick these decisions. The Bills are in position to win the game. And yeah, you could you could speculate if it would have been better or not. But nobody knows the answer. And I'm not going to sit here with any level of confidence and say, you know what? If Tyre Elam played over Rasul Douglas, they would have won the game. I, you know what that conversation probably turns into if the Bills still lose the game? Well, there, there were two cautions with Rasul Douglas that needed to have him out there. Right, right? Like, I, I can, the spin zone's real. The spin zone is real. At the end of the day, the Bills had every chance to win the game. They couldn't make the game-winning plays, and the Chiefs did. All right, we got more to get to here in just a moment, so be sure to stick with me. Folks, the NFL playoffs are here, but there's still plenty of time to get in on the action over at FanDuel, America's number one sports pick, because right now new customers can get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. It's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. I love the app. It's easy to use and navigate, and so many different ways that you can bet, like a live same-game parlay. You can find bets in the Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. Of course, they have the spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Next one today comes from Rob, who says, I know there's a big cap hit if the Bills cut Von Miller, but what would the cap savings be? Would it be a matter, would it matter when he is cut, such as March, June, or the end of training camp? I know Arizona had that issue with D-Hop last year. They had a big cap hit, but did save some money off the cap. So Von Miller has four years, $80 million left on his deal. If the Bills were to cut him before June 1st, the Bills would lose $8.6 million in cap space due to the dead cap accumulation. So if you cut him before June 1st, you are going to have nearly $9 million less in cap space just to not have Von Miller. Or you can just have Von Miller and have an additional $8.6 million in cap space. It makes no sense, right? It makes no sense. If you do cut him post-June 1st, that would mean you would accumulate $17 million in dead cap in 2024 and another $15.4 million in dead cap in 2025. Now, you would free up $6.8 million in cap space for the Bills in 2025, but not until after June 2nd. So there's just no good, there's just no good way out of this. The best plan is for Von Miller to play in 2024 and hope he's back or close to what he was before. And then there's a much more reasonable opportunity to get out of his deal. After 2024, there's still going to be a massive dead cap, but there's actually savings. You, you hate to have the dead cap. But if you, if you go through 2024 and he's a bum, well, at least there's some cap savings to be had while you still have to stomach a, a, a dead cap hit. 
your best case scenario is in 2024, Von Miller is something like what you expect Von Miller to be. Aiden says, now that our season is over, I'm starting to look ahead to the draft, of course, and here's what I have to say. To me, drafting a down-the-field alpha wide receiver is a top priority this offseason. If Malik Neighbors and or Roma Dunze somehow drop out of the top 10, do whatever it takes to go up and get one of them. Time for Bean to be aggressive, but if they're both gone within the top 10, then A.D. Mitchell and Keon Coleman are targets I would love in the range that we're currently drafting. So the Bills pick 28th in the coming draft, and Malik Neighbors is going to be a top 10 pick. There's no world where this guy is not, I mean, maybe top 7, top 8, top 6, maybe top 5. Wouldn't surprise me, depending on where the quarterbacks go. You think Los Angeles Chargers at pick 5 is going to get Malik Neighbors for sure. I, Arizona right there, another wide receiver spot. I just don't see these guys falling. The good news is, is that it's a good wide receiver draft, and I still have a ton of work to do uh, on these prospects. I'm very, very much just scratching the surface, and I will have tons of big conversations with you about them, but I'm still working on it. Um, but yeah, I, I the Malik Neighbor stuff, we got to get that out of our minds because it, he's going to the top five probably. Uh, Roma Dunze out of Washington. I mean, if he gets to 28, sure. But with the depth of wide receivers in this class, I don't feel an urgency to move up at all. Like, I think you're going to get a good receiver at 28 or a good defensive lineman at 28, and you can double, you can come back to receiver in the second round. I think there's going to be options. So let the board fall to you. Use your draft picks. I'm not trading up for, like, I'm not trading that far up for a wide receiver. Uh, maybe a, a, a modest move up the board if if you, you know, if it's a Dalton Kincaid type situation last year, like that type of thing. But going from 28 to like 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that, you're talking about trading away a future first round pick. Now I'm trying to get younger and cheaper. I want as many draft picks as I can to do that. And and let me tell you this. I, again, I have a lot of work to do on wide receivers. One receiver I'm just not interested in in this draft is wide rec- uh, Keon Coleman from Florida State. Just nothing at all like the type of receiver the Bills need. He's a big-bodied, contested catch guy that isn't very good at contested catches. No separation ability. The Bills need a guy that can separate. Guys that can get open, that can win vertically, that can create after the catch. That is not Keon Coleman. Not at all. So that's there's my early draft take. Like, just completely not interested in Keon Coleman. The skill set is just not at all what I think the Bills need. Contested catches are just a tough way to make a living, and he wasn't a good contested catch receiver at Florida State. I just, I can't, I cannot get on board with that. All right, Mark says, can Dalton Kincaid play outside primarily as a an X or Z receiver, leaving Shakir in the slot and Stefan Diggs as the other outside receiver, while still using Knox's athleticism and as all as an all around tight end? I personally would love to see Kincaid, Shakir, and Knox on the field for the majority of the snaps, along with Diggs, all at the same time. I'd love to hear your input on this. And, or let me know if it's just wishful thinking. Here's the thing. The bills are going to run between 60 and 80 plays in any given game. There is plenty of opportunities to move players around and put them in different positions for different opportunities, right? Like no player at receiver or tight end is just going to be in one spot. You have all these opportunities to move guys around and do different things. This past year, Dalton Kincaid, 785 snaps of those 389 were in the slot. 247 were in line as a tight end, 140 out wide as a receiver, and then like eight in the backfield. So you're going to you're gonna move these guys around. You're going to have tons of different groupings. 
and packages. And yeah, sometimes Dalton Kincaid should be an X receiver. A lot of times he should be a slot. A lot of times he should be in line. I think that's what you love is the versatility and interchangeability of your players. And I think in Shakir, in Diggs, in Kincaid, you have three guys already that are very interchangeable. And you add another receiver, preferably in the first couple rounds of the draft. And I feel like you're really going to have a nice group of weapons. So like, this is what gets me excited. Diggs, Shakir, Kincaid, this next receiver that I'm fantasizing about that's going in the first couple rounds. And then you also have like James Cook and you still have Dawson Knox. So like that group of skill players gets me very, very exciting. But it, it starts with getting that dynamic talent that has the right skill set to make it even more versatile. And I think that ability down the field, the speed component, the yards after catch has got to be a top priority in what we're looking for in this wide receiver edition that it feels like is obvious, is necessary to add to this football team. So there you have it. Herd mentality in the books, folks. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, and we're at the point in the, in the year where I'm, I'm about to sit down and really map out the content for the coming days and weeks. Uh, at some point, we're going to start the performance review series, and we're going to do that with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, the coaching staff in the front office, and then we'll get into the positions. Um, but I'm not committing to anything for our next episode because I don't, maybe the Bills make uh, some coaching staff changes, stuff like that. Like, I'm going to be fluid here. Just know this. There's an episode of Lockdown Bills coming your way tomorrow, so don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed. Would love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Go Bills, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.